Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Biblically podcast. I'm your host, Justin Paley. And in today's episode, we're going to tackle a fairly complex but um, very interesting topic, uh, mainly the pastoral epistles, also known as 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, and specifically the pastoral epistles and the question of authorship. So in terms of tackling this, first, we will go over what the pastoral epistles are, just some general information about them, and then dive a little bit into the scholarly side of things and explore why a lot of modern scholarship does not think Paul the Apostle actually authored these letters to uh, two of his most well-known and important companions, Timothy and Titus. So the pastoral epistles are three fairly small letters in the New Testament. All three of them claim to be written by the Apostle Paul, two of them addressed to Timothy, who is one of Paul's most well-known and trusted companions, as well as Titus, who is also fairly well-known. And all three of these letters have a very pastoral tone to them, hence they're, uh, they're commonly known as the pastoral epistles. Now, each of these epistles claims to be written by the Apostle Paul in a typical Pauline letter form. So, for example, 1 Timothy 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my loyal child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, with the pastoral epistles, they have a a very interesting history in terms of their authorship and place in the canon. Their authorship was not really questioned um, up until around the 18th century. Now, there is some question of if Marcion, um, the well-known Christian heretic of the second century, uh, rejected the pastoral epistles because they are not included in his canon and he doesn't seem to have knowledge of them. Now, this could be because he just simply was never exposed to them and he doesn't have any knowledge, but it could also be because he did know of the epistles, but just never mentions them and did not accept them because he did not accept them as actually being written by Paul. Now, the question of authorship itself is is quite a complicated one, Uh, mainly because our notions of authorship are different from ancient notions of authorship. We have this idea that there's this person sitting at a desk alone, writing out a letter, you know, putting in an envelope and sending it out to the recipient. But that is not how letter writing in the ancient world worked. Oftentimes, um, people would hire scribes, professional scribes, to transcribe letters. Um, or if they were writing by themselves, uh, they were writing the letter themselves, they would actually have a, a wide group that would often participate in the writing process, either by giving ideas, um, making corrections, uh, some other sort of involvement in the writing process. So it was not a a solitary uh, sort of activity like it is thought of today. And there also was no concept of copyright. Now, there was a, a concept of authorship in the sense of people were attuned to the fact that there were works written in people's names that were not actually written by who they claimed to be. 
And oftentimes, if they were found out, whether in early Christianity or in the ancient world more generally, if they were found out to be forgeries or what uh, scholarship commonly refers to as pseudepigrapha, uh, then they were oftentimes rejected. Now, this is not the case for all texts, um, but certainly there are plenty of examples, uh, one famous one being Galen, um, the, the famous uh, doctor uh, in the Greek ancient world. Uh, and there were a lot of his works that were circulating that weren't actually written by him, but claimed to be. And um, he does not uh, have very nice things to to say about whoever did this. And it was definitely not an accepted practice in that sense. And so early Christian pseudepigrapha, the, the practice of writing in somebody's name is not a foreign concept to the ancient world and was also something that was in play in early Christianity. Now, in terms of how the ancients were judging authorship, you know, they don't have, they didn't have the same methods that, that we have in terms of, you know, statistical analysis, being able to compare uh, texts of early Christianity to, for example, Jewish texts, Jewish pseudepigrapha, Greco-Roman pseudepigrapha. Uh, they didn't have the luxury of, you know, being able to do that type of detailed analysis at least on a large scale. But that doesn't mean that they, they weren't very intelligent uh, and didn't have their own ways of trying to discern authorship. Now, the pastoral epistles themselves weren't necessarily uh, rejected by the, the so-called early church fathers. You know, think of um, Tertullian, Origen, etc. Uh, but we do have examples of these uh, early Christian fathers um, actually quite either questioning the authorship of a particular text, quoting the position of, of another authority that questions authorship or outright rejecting texts. So one famous example um, in the case of Origen is Hebrews. And he it's unclear if he specifically thinks that Paul did not write it, but he certainly seems to express some doubt. And he bases that mainly off of the um, the structure and the the tone of the letter in terms of it being in a very different style than um, Paul's other letters. Uh, and so Origen and, and other uh, early Christians who did question the Pauline authorship of Hebrews um, found some ways of explaining it. Either, you know, he had someone write it for him or it was translated from uh, Greek into a different language. There are a lot of different avenues to go down, but long story short, the practice of writing in somebody's name was a well-known, attested practice, and it was something that was not accepted in early Christianity. So if a text was found to be written in somebody else's name, um, but was not actually by the person it claims to be, then uh, it would be rejected. We don't have a ton of examples of this, but we do have some. Um, so it's impossible to know exactly, you know, the thoughts of the, the everyday Christian on this, but certainly the, the texts and authorities that we have from this period do attest to the practice not being an accepted one. Uh, and so it would be uh, something of a deceptive practice. Now, I don't want to get too much into the ethical considerations of that in terms of, you know, uh, what could be described as a lie or an intentional deception that made its way into the Bible and the, the implications of that. 
I don't want to go down that road. Um, I, I think that's a conversation um, um, for a different time and a different topic. What I really want to focus on is really why the pastoral epistles came to be questioned in terms of their Pauline authorship. And if there are really any conclusions that we can draw from that. So as I mentioned earlier, starting around the, the 18th, early 19th century is when biblical scholars started to question the Pauline authorship of the pastoral epistles, starting with 1 Timothy. And there were a couple of things that, that stuck out to, to some biblical scholars looking at the text. The first was the unique use of words that are not found anywhere else in the Pauline letters, what are commonly referred to as hapax legomena, uh, if I'm pronouncing my Latin correctly. Uh, and so that's just a fancy term for words that are only used in one particular text, but not found in any other text of a particular corpus. So in this case, the, the Pauline canon. And there are a disproportionate amount of hapax legomena in First Timothy, as well as the other pastorals, uh, at a rate higher than what we see in other Pauline texts. Now, certainly, some of this difference can be accounted for by just the difference in context. You know, Paul is writing to an individual in the case of the pastorals versus a community, as he does in all of his other letters. And there are also different topics that he touches on in the pastorals that don't necessarily come up in his other letters. So naturally, that would require the use of, of different words that he might not have used in, in other contexts. Um, now, that, that, is one, uh, that is one argument there, is that the use of those specific, that specific vocabulary not found elsewhere. The second um, main argument in terms of, you know, questioning the authorship of the letter is that it's very hard to take this situation, the presumed situation behind 1 Timothy, and really slot that into anything else we know about Paul's life and mission. So he seems to be writing to Timothy um, somewhere in, in Asia Minor. Um, oftentimes, Ephesus is a very um, popularly presumed um, location for the letter, uh, if it was actually a, a real letter that was actually sent to Timothy. But regardless, it presents itself uh, certainly as a, as a letter being written to Timothy, probably somewhere in Ephesus. And Timothy is in charge of this congregation, this particular congregation, and Paul is trying to encourage Timothy uh, in terms of being a, a leader, laying out qualifications for bishops, elders, uh, and just what it means to um, be a, a good Christian. And so within that, that brings up another topic, mainly that there's some uh, often controversial things um, that Paul says in this letter that don't accord with, again, what we know of Paul's life, his thought, and his overall mission. The first would just be mainly that we have no record of Timothy being left in charge of a, an entire congregation. Um, just the way that we know how Paul's mission worked uh, it, from his other letters, um, that does not seem to jive with the more institutionalized form of the church that we seem to get in 1 Timothy, where there seems to be more of a formal structure with bishops, elders, and collections for widows and orphans. Uh, now, that is not to say that there weren't more rudimentary forms of that in, you know, 
you know, quote unquote, the original Pauline churches, but certainly from texts like Romans or First Corinthians, the the nature of the community and the leadership seemed to be a lot more um, informal compared to the more institutionalized nature that we get in the pastorals and particularly First Timothy. The second thing would be uh, particularly to take one example, you know, what Paul says about women and in childbirth, which is a, a very, very uh, controversial text, especially in, in the modern context. So um, particularly First Timothy, First um, Timothy, starting from First Timothy 2.11, let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over man. She is to keep silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, provided they continue in faith and love and holiness with modesty. Now, um, not getting into, you know, the the specific theology around that, uh, suffice it to say that that does not really jive with what Paul says about women or salvation in his other texts. For example, in 1 Corinthians, you have women who are prophesying and speaking in church. Uh, in Romans, um, there, there are apostles and Pauline delegates who are, are women, specifically um, you know, the, the very well-known Junia, uh, as well as Phoebe, who seems to be a, a deacon of some sort in, in one of the Pauline communities and is entrusted with a lot of authority and leadership though uh, it's unclear exactly what the nature of that is. But certainly this sort of view about um, women and their place in the church does seem to be in conflict with what Paul says elsewhere. So this seems to be the view of an author writing at a later time when the church was, um, we'll say, a little bit more uh, established in the sense of we don't have a lot of that charismatic sort of tenor that you get um, with something like First Corinthians or First Thessalonians, some of those early letters. But we have a church that isn't so much focused on eschatology uh, and, you know, the imminent end of the world as we get in some of Paul's other letters. But we have a, a situation where it seems like early Christians are adopting to a new situation where they have to live in the you know, the, the everyday Greco-Roman world and struggling through some of the challenges that come with that. And so oftentimes it is argued in scholarship that somebody writing in Paul's name, probably in the late first, early second century, um, was essentially writing under Paul's name to use his authority in order to give instructions to early Christian communities. And thus he took the Pauline letter form which was well-known in early Christian communities and adapted that to suit his purposes. Now, it's very, very hard to say anything more specific than that. But if you get into the other letters, um, specifically to Timothy and Titus, while they're often grouped with 1 Timothy uh, under the heading of pastoral epistles, is that although the two, all three letters are not the same, um, particularly 2 Timothy does have a lot of differences compared to 1 Timothy and Titus, they do share a lot of similarities in the sense that the way that they differ from Paul's other letters are the similarities that they share with one another. 
So they share a lot of vocabulary that is unique to just this small corpus of three letters. Um, they are obviously all addressed to, to individuals, um, which is a unique concept in, in the Pauline canon. And their theological outlook seems to be very similar in the sense that this is a community that is living in the larger Greco-Roman world and struggling with how to live in society as um, peaceful, reputable citizens, while at the same time keeping their Christian identity and living out uh, the, the consequences of that. So that's to, to sum up here. Uh, the two main arguments so far covered are that the first is just the, the vocabulary of the, the text, which differs. And the second is the presumed historical situation and trying to slot that in with what we know about Paul's other letters, his life and his mission. And that will do it for the inaugural episode of the Thinking Biblically podcast. And I want to thank you for joining us yeah, even though that was probably not the most tightly structured um, uh, podcast episode. But I hope to use that as a jumping off point for our next episode, where we will dive into the actual text of the pastoral epistles themselves and really try to explore more deeply um, some of the topics that were uh, introduced in this first episode. And I hope you will join us then.